Good morning. My name is Morgan. I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Amen. Thank you, Morgan. Good morning. How is everybody? Good. I have to say from the jump, just so we're clear, it is sheer coincidence that I asked my wife to do the scripture reading about anger, okay? <laughs> sheer coincidence. There's nothing going on there. Everything's good. So, hey, my name is Dallas. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Meadows Church. If you have questions, uh, feel free to to come talk to me after the service. Uh, we are in the third week of our series, Hurry, Worry, and Fury, where we're looking at barriers to spiritual formation. And if you missed the last couple of weeks, I'm going to briefly get you caught up. In the first week, we talked about hurry and how Jesus responded to interruption. That, that will tell you a whole lot about what an effect hurry has on your life by how you respond to interruption. And we looked at a story in Matthew chapter 8, where a centurion comes running and interrupting him and yelling and says, um, something's wrong with my servant. And Jesus says, shall I come and heal him, right? Like, stop what I'm doing and come and attend to this need that is in front of me. And then last week we talked about worry. And we talked about the idea that um, God doesn't just say, don't worry, which he does say, don't worry, but he also gives us an avenue of what to do when we do worry. And so we talked through that, and we talked about living in the kingdom of God, that if we are in the kingdom of God, that if there are worries, then we give them to the king. And that's the best place for those worries to be. Now, this week we're going to talk about fury, which kind of rhymes with the other two, hurry, worry, and fury. I think it sounds a little bit better than hurry, worry, and anger, so we went with fury, right? Uh, but we're going to talk a lot about this, uh, this word fury today, or anger, and in fact, I think that this one is probably even the most applicable of the whole series, because when you think about anger, uh, it's not just like an explosive, aggressive thing, there's things that uh, sort of are under that, like frustration, right, like agitation, like being annoyed, all those things, and so I think anger will be something really useful for us to talk about here this morning, and uh, one thing to note from the jump is that anger in itself is not a sin, now, being easily angered is a sin, but being angry in itself is not a sin. There are reasons at times to be angry. In fact, Jesus was angry at times, and we're going to look at some of those stories here this morning. Uh, you may find when innocent lives are being taken, or somebody's being hurt, or things like that, or there's not justice being served, that you may find yourself being angry. The point here, though, is 
to not be easily angered. And we're going to look at four examples this morning where Jesus was, in fact, angry. And only in one of these stories does he act out of his anger. Uh, Mark chapter 1, a leper comes to him and it says that he was indignant. And he was angry about sickness and the effects that sickness has on people. And you may find that when somebody in your own life is dealing with a disease or something like that, you may find yourself being angry at that disease. You may even say that you hate that disease. And in Mark chapter 1, that's what's going on here with Jesus. In Mark uh, chapter 10, he gets angry with his disciples because they won't allow the children to come to him. And it's that word again, indignant. He gets indignant that the disciples are hindering the kids from coming to him. And y'all, that story kind of scares me a little. It makes me continue to evaluate the question, am I doing things that are hindering my kids from coming to him? That he wants the kids to come to him. And he gets angry whenever we're doing things that don't allow that to happen. And then Mark chapter 3, the religious leaders, they are angry at Jesus because Jesus keeps healing people on the Sabbath. And so it makes Jesus angry that they're using sort of made-up religious tradition to not rejoice and get excited. Not only not rejoice and get excited about somebody being healed, but actually trying to prevent Jesus from doing it. And then there's a story, and this is the time that Jesus actually acts in his anger. It's found in all four Gospels. Uh, You can find it in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 21, or John chapter 2. Um, Religious leaders are using the temple to sell merchandise or to even cast lots. And Jesus comes in and he says, no, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. This is a place where if people have needs and they're desperate to encounter God, that we're creating environments for people to be able to do that. And because the religious leaders of the day were not doing that, Jesus was angry and he chases them out of the temple. This can be found again in all four Gospels. So there's a time to be angry. Jesus was angry at sickness. Why? Because people were suffering. And the other three examples. Jesus is angry at those who are in authority, have positions of power. Why? Because they're holding people back from encountering God, which then allows them to suffer. There's a time to be angry. Now, one question to ask, and this is just sort of a side note, but if Jesus is angry, three of the four examples that Jesus is angry is with people and power and authority and how they use that. It makes us ask the question, what do we do with the authority and the power that we've been given? That if Jesus were to come and, and, and see and, and look at these examples of how we're stewarding our power, what would he say to that? Would he say that we are allowing, we're stepping out of the way and allowing people to come to him, or would he say that we are hindering him? Now that's another message for another day, but in in regard to anger, I think as a general rule, it should be our desire to not be angry. Um, And there's uh, 89 chapters in the Gospels, and in only seven of those chapters is Jesus angry. And even some scholars might even say that he wasn't angry in some of those as well. So seven out of 89 
Jesus is angry. This tells us something. That yes, anger does occur. But we should not be easily angered. And we should only be angry when other people are being hurt. That's a reason to be angry. Now I'd also make the argument that we can trust Jesus with anger. Right? And I I don't know how well I trust myself with anger. So as a good general rule of thumb... As often as possible, we should not be a people who are easily angered. A couple of important questions for us to evaluate this morning. Uh, One, am I easily angered? And two, what do I do when I'm angry? Because again, as Morgan read, uh, anger is not necessarily a sin, but what we do out of anger can be. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the enemy a foothold. Now, while anger might not necessarily be a sin, it does uh, set up an environment in place where it's easier to sin, doesn't it? That when we have anger, that it's much easier for us to give in to sin. And I think this second part that talks about do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, I used to think that that meant don't go to bed angry. Right? Don't go to bed angry at your spouse. But I actually think the bar is much higher than that. What Paul is saying here is do not hang on to anger at all. That when anger comes, do something with it. Get rid of it. Address it right away. Because what happens is, if you don't, the enemy will then have a foothold. Because this is how he loves to work. That he'll slither his way in overnight if you're holding on to anger. And that will change everything. For our thought process. That'll start to change how we think about the people around us. How we view our circumstances and all these things. And then anger starts to take root in our lives. This is the way that the enemy loves to work. Unnoticed. Slithering. Making little compromises. Little justifications to say, you know what Dallas? Like you, yeah you should be angry about that. You should. You, you deserve to be angry. That person did something to you, so you, it's okay if you hold on to that anger just a little while longer, right? And in fact, he does this with all other kinds of things, too. He'll say, you know, it's okay if you look at that person lustfully just a little bit longer. I mean, look at what your friend did. Your friend had a full, full-on affair. That, this is nothing. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Right, And I think in our culture today, there is a a movement underway in my generation. And I'm not going to dog on my generation too much because, well, our issues are well documented anyway. But there's this movement that talks about, you know what, that's okay. If you're in that season of anger and frustration, that's okay. It's a season of life. It's normal and all that stuff. And it is normal to experience anger and to have seasons of anger. But it's not okay for us to hold on to that anger because that's when the enemy really starts to go to work in our lives. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. See, these are things that happen when we hold on to anger, that we become somebody who is a bit more bitter. When we hold on to it long enough, we become somebody who does all these things right here. And I I see often people will say, you know, I don't want to address 
that thing I'm frustrated about or angry about because I want to keep the unity. And I find that interesting, though, because when you do have anger, you already don't have unity. And so the best thing to do is go ahead and address that with that person so that then you can move forward in unity once again. Why? Because Paul is telling us that if you have anger and you hold on to that anger, all these other things are going to be produced as a result. You know, the enemy, he is really smart, and he wants to go unnoticed. Because if you see what he's doing, then you can call him out and say, no, I'm not going that direction. But when we make these little justifications of, you know what, I have a right to be angry, and all those things, then what we end up seeing happening is we become the kind of person who is bitter. This is why Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, you've already committed sin. Why? Because if you are at a place where you're considering whether or not to murder somebody, the enemy already has you in his grasp, doesn't he? If you've gotten to that point, if you've had hate in your heart all that time, then, then you are going to become someone who does those things. So Jesus wanted to get to the root of it. The root of it was hate. And even before that, the root of that is anger, right? So, so Paul is saying, look, we've got to get rid of it. Now, don't hold on to it. There's no justification. Get rid of your anger. Now, we can go through all these things. Uh, bitterness, if, if somebody, you know, if you're here today and you're struggling with bitterness, let me encourage you to assertively deal with that today. That if you're bitter towards somebody, a lot of times bitterness comes about because uh, we, we lack an assertive nature to, to take that thing head on. And I encourage you, go ahead and go to that person today and say, man, I've been feeling these bitter feelings about this thing, and I just need to address this thing with you today. Or take about uh, rage. Rage is a manifestation of not quickly addressing in the right way things that we need to address. So then a an avalanche of, an emotion, of emotion starts to manifest in our lives. Let's deal with those things quickly. Or brawling. I love that detail. Y'all, if I had to come in here and talk about brawling, I, man, we're way behind the game, right? If I'm like, guys, you, you two leaders, I mean, you keep setting up Friday at 2 to brawl together, and we need to like, not do that, right? I'd hate to see why you put that one in there. But yeah, if we can assertively deal with issues when they occur, if we're noticing that there's some anger there, to deal with it so that we prevent things from building up or slander. Someone makes us mad and instead of addressing it assertively with them, we try to create divisions or we diminish somebody's character instead of assertively dealing with what's bothering us. Or malice, the enemy has such a foothold over us that in our anger we've stood in it so long that we just have been given over to it. And we don't even care to see good anymore. Why? We never thought we would get there. But because we've held on to that thing for so long, that's just who we become. Because the enemy loves to work in that way. Now, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that it, it almost never says, don't do this, without also saying, do this. So let's get into verse 32. It says, be kind. And compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 
This is the way I think that we disarm anger, not just in our own hearts, but also anger that's all around us. That we have a role to play to, to squash anger in any kind of moment that we uh, engage in. And it, it reminds me, have you ever encountered somebody and you're like really mad at them, but then they just diffuse the situation really quickly? It's like you come at somebody and you say, man, you did these things and I'm so angry with you. And they just say something like, oh, I, man, I did not realize that. I'm so sorry. I got to own that with you. And, right, and like the relationship moves forward at that point, right? That we have a role to play here. Even if we're not the ones who are responsible for the anger, we have a role to play to diffuse that by being kind and compassionate and forgiving and remembering how Christ also forgave us. Now, this is the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus so often would respond so much radically different than you ever expected him to, didn't he? I mean, he'd say things like, love your enemies. And that was so counter-cultural at the time. And there's a lot, looking back, there's a lot that I'm going to have to answer for, I think, uh, in terms of my counseling career, some of you who don't know, I did counseling for 12 years before coming here and, and, and uh, becoming the pastor. And there are so many times over the years where I've met a situation that was a little bit escalated and only escalated the situation further. I mean, I think um, about a specific time I was working in the school, and this kid, he was like, just a little bit angry. He was maybe saying some cuss words, stuff like that. They asked me to come and intervene, and a few minutes into my intervention, this kid's throwing chairs all over the place. And I'm like, man, I really met this and escalated the situation. But Jesus had a way of disarming anger with some radical responses, and it, it took a lot of painful moments in my life for me to start to adopt some of those radical processes. And uh, there was a time last year, about this exact time, really, where I had this kid. He was uh, about as stubborn a kid as I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's probably second, the, the most stubborn kid. Uh, we don't have time to get into this, but I'm going to anyway. He, the most stubborn kid that I ever saw, he, we caught him on the bus punching another kid, okay? And you know how buses are. They have the cameras on there, right? Well, we interviewed, me and the principal interviewed all the people on the bus. They said this kid did it. We showed him the video of him doing it, and he still said, nope, wasn't me, wasn't me. <laughs> like, okay, that's the most stubborn you get. I mean, I don't know. But this kid that I was working with, he was the second most stubborn kid that I've ever met. And I had a job this time last year where I would work. The courts would uh, assign my services to families. It was like a last-ditch effort before the kid was removed from the house altogether. They say, let's put this service in place. If it doesn't work from there, the kid goes into custody, that sort of thing, this is it. It's like an intensive counseling. And so I meet this kid there the first day, and I open the door, and he looks at me, and he runs out the back door. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good start. This is about 15-year-old kid. And so he refused to meet with me. And so, and I always, you know, I give kids a break every now and then, like, Sometimes they just need some grace, you know. Sometimes, well, filter caught that one just in time. Uh, sometimes they need something else. But, but sometimes they just need some grace. So I gave him some grace that day, right? Maybe you're having a rough day. Like, 
let's go, you know, we'll try for the next time. So I call his mom, set up the next session, and I hear him in the background yelling, I'm not meeting with him. I refuse to meet with him. I will never, ever meet with him. And he's yelling, he's yelling all these expletives and stuff like that. And I, I just ask him, I say, you know, why, why don't you want to meet with me at all? Because I never met this kid at all. Why don't you want to meet with me? And he said, oh, I just, I just want to spend time with my mom and no one else. And I knew he was kind of full of it when he said that. Because if he wanted to spend more time with his mom, he'd complete the program and stay home, right? But I'm starting to get angry because I'm feeling, you know, all these feelings of, you don't even know me, how dare you talk to me like that. All these things are starting to build up. And it's one phone call away from this kid going into custody. I mean, this is it. This is his last shot, right? All I got to do is call the judge and say, he won't comply, go ahead and take him. And in that moment, there are moments in your life where you can very clearly see that the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart, right? And this was one of those moments. I almost felt like God like grabbed my shoulder and said, hey, Dallas, sit this one out. I, I got this. And so I remember thinking, i got to just hang up the phone. Just hang up the phone. We'll take a step back here, and then we'll figure out what the next steps are from there. And during that time, uh, God revealed to me in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says a radical statement. He says, before you go to court, that person who's taking you to court, make friends with them. And I thought, now that's radical. I mean, you don't make friends with somebody who's taking you to court. But yeah, Jesus says, make friends with the one who's taking you to court. And that's not a direct parallel to the situation I was in. But I left thinking there, okay, what does it look like to radically respond in the ways of Jesus like he did in Matthew chapter 5 when he made that statement here. So I say, God, I, I need you to intervene. Clearly, I haven't gotten anywhere in this conversation with this kid. So I need you to intervene right here, right now. And so what I ended up doing was I, I said, you know, you don't have to meet with me this time. I'll give you grace this one more time. And I'll meet with your mom. We'll get some background information. We'll see what's going on. All those things, Right. And so I show up to the house, and I got a gift for him. I wrote him a letter. I said, you know, I think it's really cool that, you're, that you want to spend time with your mom, that you're someone who, like, wants to do that. She's very lucky to have you as a son, that you want to spend time with her. And I gave him a gift card to take her out to lunch sometime. I handed him the card, left his room, kind of in the doorway of the room, handed him the card for him to read, look at all that, and I said, I'll see you here next time. You know, if we got to next time, then I, all bets are off on what we got to do at that point, right? So I handed him that note, walked back down the stairs, started meeting with his mom, and this kid came down the stairs, sat right next to me, and we had a great conversation that day. And <laughs> he completed the program, stayed out of state custody, all because of this radical response of Jesus. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And sometimes it just, you have to let justice be served, right? But it's never out of anger. We always take a step back and we say, 
okay, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to intervene in this situation. I need to adopt the radical response that you have because my response isn't working. It's just escalating time and time again the conflict. What does it look like for us to say, yeah, I'd like to lean into those radical responses of Jesus and see what he does with that. Man, there's no way around it. The love of Jesus, the radical love of Jesus, changed the trajectory of that kid's life. I mean, he was certainly headed to state custody, and you know what happens a lot of times in state custody. They age out, you know, they get around other kids who are having these same struggles and stuff like that. But, but God, in his response, changed that kid's life. The question I have for us as we leave, what does it look like for us to not only get rid of anger, but to completely disarm it with the radical responses of Jesus. Y'all, because I believe that if we can become the kind of people, not just who don't give in to bitterness, not just who don't give in to all these things that anger produces, but to actually become the kind of people who say, God, I want to come alongside of you and actually see what you can do in this situation with your radical responses once again. Y'all, I believe that if we can be a people who are available to limiting hurry, to limiting worry, and to actually stepping back and saying, I'm going to get rid of anger in my life so that I can be available to whatever you want to do radically in this situation to change it. Y'all, I believe that God can do amazing, amazing things with that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the truth of your word. Um, We thank you for the guidance that your word gives to us. I mean, you know, time and time again, we're thinking, where, you know, where do we go? How do I navigate? What's next? All these things. And yet your word, time and time again, shows us. Shows us a map for our lives. Father, I pray that you will help us be a people of the scriptures. I pray that you'll help us to be a people who rely on the Holy Spirit to actually work. Father, there's so many times in our lives where we've just wrecked it. I pray that you'll help us to receive your grace in this moment. And I pray that you'll help us to adopt the radical responses of Jesus in our everyday lives so that we can, like we saw you know, in, in uh, Luke chapter 5 the, a couple weeks ago, we, we saw where people had just looked and, and they've said, wow, we've got to see special things today, very special things today. And I think, Father, if you can help us to be available to you in all things, that, that yeah, we will once again see very, very special things again. Father, we love you a whole lot. In Jesus' name, amen.